Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Alright, here's what's going on tonight. The Wild and the Predators tied 1-1 at the start of the second period. Rangers and Dallas scoreless in the first period. Red Wings and Avalanche about to get underway. The Ducks and the Coyotes about to get underway later on. Montreal in Los Angeles. Late in the second period, the Lightning lead the Jets 3-1. Early in the third, it's 2-2 Panthers and Penguins. Middle of the third period, Islanders leading the Senators 4-3. Blue Jackets and Devils in a 1-1 tie. And they just started the third period in Boston. The Bruins and Hurricanes are tied 2-2. The Rockets leading the Raptors 49-35 in Toronto, 2.53 left in the first half there as uh, Raptors not having a good night. Leonard with 10 points so far for Toronto. Edmonton has Vancouver coming up. That's on Thursday. And then they have Toronto here on Saturday. Of course, the uh, Maple Leafs rang up the Calgary Flames 6-2 last night. You know, Calgary's having a great season, so I don't understand all of this, but I uh, but I know it's uh, out there, and uh, I know there have obviously been some tough nights for the Flames goaltenders, uh, Riddick and Smith, along the way. And Mike Smith had this to say about some of the criticism from fans and media. To be honest, I don't really care. My, my job's to... My job's to, to be the best I can be every single night, come to practice and work as hard as I can to, to be as good as I can when I get the chance to get in the net. And I think both Ritter and I feel our teammates are most important. And we win and lose together. And sometimes, um, you know, the goaltending takes a heat for it, and that's fine. And sometimes, um, you know, the team doesn't play as well and the goaltenders bail them out. So it's, it, it, it all evens itself out throughout the season. There's no panic. I mean, it's 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 funny. You guys like to, you guys like to, you know, you guys must be bored or something. But um, we're fine. And Mike Smith was also asked about the concerns about the goaltending. There is from who? From well, you guys? From the pundits, we'll say. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's important then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A little bit there from Mike Smith. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on six thirty. Shed on a guy. During his illustrious career as an NHL goaltender, was never once criticized by anybody. We have Kelly Rudy joining us on the line. Hey, Kelly. <laughs> Apparently, you weren't in the LA Forum when I played my last two or three years there because I was public enemy number one, and uh, I was the uh, recipient of most of the booing. And so, I remember those days well, and I remember being uh, more defiant than Mike Smith was in his comments. He was. Uh, I expected him to be a little bit stronger in his comments. Um, And you know what? I I totally get what he's doing. He's saying, he's asking who's 
leveling the criticism, but it is out there. And uh, I'm not going to suggest that uh, I'm one of those people, but uh, uh, I'm out in the public, and uh, oftentimes people come up to me, whether it's fair or accurate. Uh, I don't think it really matters. It just seems to, seems to be a, a feeling, um, and I'm not sure how it started. I'm not sure why it started. But uh, I think here in the next little bit, they have, what, about 16, 17 games, something like that. I suspect the noise is going to get a little bit louder, and uh, these goaltenders, I hope, become even more defiant and and stand up for themselves because that's basically one way where you can shut the noise down. Well, I, I found it a little strange, and I talk to Pat Steinberg all the time, and he basically does the equivalent of, of my job for the Flames and yeah. does the postgame show, and he said... He was telling me about a month ago, somebody called in and said the Flames can't go into the playoffs with Riddick. And Pat said, all right, well, what are they going to do about it? And the guy just said, well, they can't have... So I don't know if this is just because Riddick is a relatively new goaltender and he hasn't played. I mean, maybe if Riddick was Jonathan Quick or Corey Crawford or whoever, you know, but I but I guess it is the most position, important position on the ice and he's never gone on a playoff run before. And maybe it's just that it's... Um, you know, the media needs a story and fans need something to worry about because the Flames are second overall. So the goaltending has to have helped get them there. You know, I wish I could have uh, been 22-6-5 and five in my second year in the league and a save percentage of 9-10. I mean, that's how incredible Riddick uh, his season has, has been. Now, is it fair to say that it's dropped off a tiny bit uh, starting in February? Yeah, but you know what, to Considering, again, he's only a second year, and I think he's surpassed anybody's expectations. I, I'm not sure why there's a, there's a feeling that uh, he's under the gun that much. I, I think from an organizational standpoint, uh, and trust me, I'm not part of the Flames uh, management, I would say that, wow, we've gotten a lot out of Riddick. Like, we, can't, we certainly can't be uh, criticizing him. And, and Mike Smith did have a slow start, but there was a long stretch also uh, that he was excellent. Now he let in a bad goal Thursday or Saturday uh, playing the puck behind the net. But when you're going to touch the puck as often as Mike Smith does, you will make the odd play. I, I don't think it's up for criticism as much as uh, I'm sort of hearing on the street. But, uh, you know, I guess if, uh, if you're nitpicking, you're going to try and find one area because you certainly wouldn't in any other uh, area, whether it's the forwards or the defense. Okay, so when you went through the, the booing in Los Angeles and questions you had to answer after the game, I don't know how much it would have happened to you in, in public in a, in a city like Los Angeles where there are a lot of teams, but how did you handle it? And looking back, do you think you handled it properly? Um, the only reason I hesitate in answering if I uh, answer handled it properly, and I'll get to it in a sec, how I handled it was just the way... I needed to uh, get through this personally because I was in a, a stretch where uh, I thought the criticism uh, was unfair. Uh, I thought in particular, I think it was my third to last year there, I was having an excellent season, but the team was really struggling. And for some reason, I was taking it on the chin from the fans. So I became, like I said, very defiant. I was I was willing to stand up for myself, and I had no hesitation in in doing so, and uh, I defended myself uh, uh, at at all costs, and I wasn't going down the road, and I wasn't going to accept blame for what I thought uh, was a 
misconception out there. And so uh, I was I was a guy that uh, I dug in. I made it clear to everybody that uh, I I didn't agree with them. And you know maybe there could have been a time where I could have been maybe a tiny bit less. Uh, defiant or harsh, I guess, when answering the questions, but, uh, you know, I I was really um, honest in my opinion, and uh, I thought anybody would suggest that I was the weak link, I'd basically suggest that they're an idiot. So, that's how I did. <laughs> Just totally. suggested yep. it, though. You wouldn't actually call them that. Just the friendly <laughs> well, suggestion. <laughs> you know what? I, I may have crossed the line the odd time with the odd person, and, uh, but because, you know what, Reed, it's it's really hurtful, and you take it personally when uh, you're there and you're you're trying your best. And and at you know when I was starting to get booed quite a bit, I wasn't struggling. Like I didn't understand why I'm the the uh, recipient of all this bad will, and and uh, I was actually playing quite well. So it became very personal to me. I uh, I took it personally. I thought that. Uh, um, you know, it, it gets to the point, and I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just telling you how it gets. When, because our kids were young at the time, uh, my wife would want to bring the kids uh, to the games, and I'd say, "No, you can't," because it's it's going to be too hard for them to hear the booing. So that's how it goes. You know, you you take it on the chin. You're you're an athlete, and that's part of the game. But uh, it's certainly unpleasant to go through. Kelly Rudy joining us tonight on Inside Sports, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with the uh, NHL on Rogers. So, Kelly, last night the Oilers get the 4-3 win over Buffalo, and Jason Pominville didn't score. He had the open net, he took the shot, and he wound up inadvertently blocking his own shot and clearing it in the process. A crazy play. I saw it last night. I watched it a, a few more times today just to make sure I was... My, my eyes were, were seeing what, what what I thought they were right. seeing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and look, you, you played a lot. Of, I, I'm just wondering, did you ever have an instance where you just got bailed out as a goaltender by the weirdest thing or, or have something crazy like that happen in a game? Well, not quite like that because that's a, a, an extremely rare play. In fact, uh, I suppose it might have happened when I was playing, but I don't remember it. But I, I did see that same thing as a color uh, analyst a few years ago, and I, I remember the shocked look I had on my face. I was like, what just happened? How in the world can you do that? And I, I was listening to uh, uh, Kevin and Drew talking about it after, and, and I totally agree. It was kind of like a golfer that double hits it, and I don't even know what that's called in golf, but I know I've done that a few times, and it's awfully embarrassing. So I'm sure that Pominville was awfully embarrassed, but... You know, I was thinking about maybe the craziest save that I made, and maybe it wasn't that bad to the people watching the game in the building or at home, but I but I always wondered what my general manager thought. So we're playing on Boxing Day, which typically was a bad day for me. And I was in my second last year. I'm in San Jose, and uh, Vancouver's in town, and Trevor Linden ca- comes down the wing, and you know that big hard slap shot he had? right-handed shot and uh, just before he's going to shoot he's at around the top of the circle and I noticed the puck starting to to uh, wobble just a little bit and just as he makes contact it goes on in so I'm now I'm really on high alert I'm thinking okay what is this puck going to do because I know it's not going to come straight at me it might be curving it might want to drop on me at some point so it looked to be about knee height so I just put my glove right in front of my knee ready to catch it and the the bottom fell out of it, and it basically hit me near the boot of my my 
my uh, pad, and I'm saying, oh, my gosh, that is so embarrassing. And I, was, I, I remember because I stopped it, held on for a whistle. I remember looking up at, the, uh, at Dean Lombardi's box because he was my manager at the time, and I'm thinking, I wonder if he's shaking his head. Like, Kelly misplayed that so badly. He got bailed out, and it, they didn't score. But that, to me, was one of the strangest plays. It also reads, in, in all seriousness, it was kind of started to plant the seed how my game was dropping, that I made such a terrible play. I got bailed out. I got lucky. But it, it was also like, yeah, you know what, Kelly, the end is coming, and you can't stop this anymore. It was weird. It was a weird feeling that I still remember that, remembering to look up at Dean Lombardi. Wow, that's interesting. That you're, yeah. If you're glancing up, I, I've never been in that position, but I would think if you're glancing up at the manager's box in a game, wondering what he's thinking, you may not <laughs> be in a, a good bad, good point. Yeah, no, that's a bad place to be. We ended up winning that game, I think, like five one or six one. So, it, and it turned out to be a non-event, a not important play. But for some reason, that one really stuck with me, and you can tell it's what uh, twenty five years later or twenty one years later, and I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, by the way, you were singing Dreisaitl's praises last week when we had you on. Yep. <laughs> Man, he is rolling. Right. He is rolling. And we're going to be doing so again this coming Saturday. I was talking to uh, my producer, Brian Spear, for uh, the pregame show, and there's going to be more of Dreisaitl and, and so on because, man, he's taking another step, and uh, it's just amazing to watch. Kelly, are you in Vegas? I am. I just got to my hotel about uh, 15 minutes ago, my friend. So I'm going to go have a nice cocktail and meet some of my coworkers for a nice steak dinner somewhere. How's that sound? All right. Uh, put uh, put uh, 20 bucks on Hen- Angel Cabrera to win the Masters for me. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. <laughs> see you, Kelly. <laughs> Okay, see you, pal. That's Kelly Rudy checking in, our weekly guest here on Inside Sports. I always love how candid he is when he uh, tells stories and, and remembers some key moments from his career. Great guest here on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply show we are going to take a time out and then we will have some memories of ted Lindsay, who passed away at the age of 93 your home for breaking news and expert opinion inside sports with reed wilkins on 630 chad Ted Lindsay passing away at the age of 93, one of the all-time greats in the National Hockey League, an outstanding player, and of course spearheading the formation of the NHL Players Association, a special Ted Lindsay feature, courtesy NHL Radio. I never really dreamed of playing in the National Hockey League. How at center over to Lindsay, one second, the game is over, Detroit wins the game 3 to nothing, and the Stanley Cup. 
recognized that I loved it very, very much, and I was just going to try and get better at it. If you ever needed proof that hard work pays off, look no further than Detroit Red Wing legend Ted Lindsay. I took one game at a time. It was almost like when I came to my career. I started late as a Canadian. I was nine years of age. When I started, I just got on the ice as much as I possibly could. I never lost that aim or desire. Lindsay was born into hockey. His father was a standout goaltender for one of the best teams of the turn of the century, the Renfrew Ontario Millionaires. My dad played 1897-98 up until about 1914 in that time frame. He played with like Newsy Lalonde, Cyclone Taylor, Lester Patrick, the Patrick brothers really, and all the great players of those early days. He grew up during the Great Depression, which made it a bit harder to get started in the sport his father loved. I was the youngest of nine children when we moved to Kirkland Lake. I had never skated in my life. Red Horner was a big name in Canada. Played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, was a defenseman. Red Horner skates were worth $2.75 and parents couldn't afford the $2.75 because <laughs> you wanted bread on the table that night. He'd become a standout in juniors with the Oshawa Generals, which led to a contract with the Red Wings in 1944. In his third season, he was matched up with Sid Abel and Gordy Howe, and the production line took the league by storm. Well, we were all gifted hockey players, all gifted with talent. Sid was a little older than Gordy and I, and uh, he was our, I guess you would say, our father image. Gordy and I were the youngsters. We had talent. We had the energy. We had the muscle and all of those things that go with it. We knew where each other were on the ice at all times. Never had to look. Just knew by where the opposition was. These other two guys, Gordy and Sid, were smart enough, sharp enough, and talented enough they could get the puck to whoever was open. The trio became fixtures at the top of the scoring ladder, finishing 1-2-3 in their first championship season in 1950. Lindsay remembers their Stanley Cup celebration being a bit different from those of today. No celebration. Uh, there were no parades, no celebrations in that sense. Our parade was we went down to the Book Cadillac Hotel down on Washington Boulevard, and by then they'd arranged to get the chef in and prepare some food because none of us had eaten since about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so you have a couple of drinks and have some celebration down there. And our parade was, I guess you'd say, we drove home after that, <laughs> went to bed. He became a Hall of Famer for his on-ice exploits. But his greater legacy lies in the creation of the NHL Players Association. He saw firsthand the inequities in the system and wanted to change them. My time was a dictatorship. When we signed a contract, you couldn't take it out of the manager's office. If you had an agent or a lawyer representing you, they'd send you home and say, we don't need you. Good luck in your life. After 13 seasons in Detroit, his union activism drove a wedge between him and general manager Jack Adams, who shipped him off to Chicago. Lindsay played three more productive seasons with the Blackhawks before retiring in 1960. But in 1964, with his former line mate Abel running the show, he was talked into one more go-around with the Red Wings. They asked me to come back in 64, 65. I had been retired for four years, and I thought he was nuts when he asked me. They picked us, the experts that is, picked us for fifth or sixth place in the six-team league. And we won the league championship.
championship, fought Montreal right down to the wire, but we lost the seventh game against Chicago and Detroit by a stupid referee call, and I've had those many times in my career. And we would have beat Montreal because we had Montreal's number that year, but we didn't get that opportunity, but at least we did end up in first place. He retired for good after that season, back where he never should have left. This is the greatest hockey franchise in the National Hockey League. It's just tremendous. I think probably it's our close proximity to Canada, to Windsor. Uh, We had tremendous hockey fans at Olympia, very knowledgeable, and they appreciated just good, smart hockey. from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Here's what's going on in the NHL. In the first period, Anaheim leads Arizona 1-0. Scoreless Red Wings and Avalanche. After the first, no score, Dallas and the Rangers. And in the second period now, Nashville up 2-1 on Minnesota. So uh, those results, uh, pretty good overall so far for the Oilers. Canadians and Kings coming up a little bit later on. Third period, Lightning lead the Jets 3-1. Panthers and Penguins 2-2. Senators and Islanders tied 4-4 in overtime. Also in overtime, Blue Jackets and Devils 1-1. Late in the third, Carolina and Boston tied 3-3. The Raptors trail the Rockets 57-47. Eight minutes left in the third quarter. Day off for the Oilers. They will practice tomorrow. They will play Vancouver on Thursday. 5.30 face-off show here on 6.30. Chad, the game will start at 7. Frustrated fan texting in. He says the Oilers are up to 3.7% from 2% before last night's game. That is correct. The good old website, sportsclubstats.com, has the Oilers with a 3.7% chance to make the playoffs and uh, likely having to go 11-3-2 the rest of the way. The Oilers have 16 games left, 10 home and 6 away, 7 games versus teams currently in the playoffs, 9 against teams not in the playoffs, 5 games against teams that are currently behind them in the standings. Uh, This texter says, Kelly Rudy is an anti-oiler jerk. You guys are idiots for having him on. And Colton out of Lac LaBiche says, uh, Hey, Reed was listening to the show, wanted to say one thing. Leon is a beast. Have a good evening, sir. He wrote, Leon is a beast in all caps, but I'm not going to yell it like I would with the Ottawa Red Blacks. The U of A Golden Bears are going to Nationals. Well, we knew that, but they won Canada West. Thanks in large part to the play of this man, goaltender Zach Sachenko. Zach, you're on with Reed. How have you been? Good. I'm so for you. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, uh, good to talk to you again, and uh, glad to see you guys beat the Saskatchewan Huskies. And a series that uh, I guess didn't start very well with a 4-2 loss in Game 1, but you came back with a couple of shutouts uh, to, to get it done in, in three games. I, I know I've read some quotes from Ian Herbers and some of the players. It seemed like you guys were pretty unhappy with the first game. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, uh, you know, for whatever reason, we always seem to, to have a pretty good game against Saskatchewan, and for whatever reason, on uh, on Friday night, we just 
didn't come out to play and it uh, it showed on the scoreboard so it was uh nice to bounce back as a team and, and kind of get those two wins and get some momentum leading into nationals but uh yeah our uh, our friday night effort was uh was pretty subpar now you know, Ian obviously has standards for how he wants to play. You had Serge Lejoie the last uh, three years as the head coach. When a team, I assume in game, you you guys are knowing you're having an off night. Is that fair? You don't necessarily need the coaches to tell you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing, too, is you mentioned Serge and Ian kind of having those expectations. But I think it's uh, kind of when you get recruited in this program, you have expectations from, just the history of the program to to uh, to win night in night out and always compete with uh, with the rich alumni and and uh, you know rich history that this program has. So it's uh, uh, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. It doesn't take uh, a coach to come in there and kind of start ripping the boys apart to uh, for us to realize that we know what this team's capable of. We know what this program has done in the past, and you know it's it's more than just uh, one game. You know we want to uh, make our best for for the history of this program and. You know, it was uh, it was pretty obvious on Friday night things weren't going our way. All right, so and like I said, you came up with shutouts in games two and three, so you you hold the Huskies off the board. Were you? I mean, did you f- feel that you sort of had it? I mean, sometimes players will say, uh, you know, I felt good, and and I know goaltending is is a stressful position. So, what was your approach going into those games where you you had to win? Yeah, I mean, honestly, if. if uh you know, if you could interview every single one of my demon on this show, that that would be uh, kind of the best case. Just get my my decor and and everything this weekend. Guys were buying in, guys were blocking shots. It really made my job easy. You know, I said it in the uh, in the paper in Saskatoon there, but I'll say it again: is that I might get credit for a shutout, but uh, you know, it's really a team game, and there's no way that uh, it's possible for our team to win both those games and come back in this series if guys aren't you know putting their bodies on the line and you know just sacrificing everything they can to uh, to get the win. So. It uh, it was a great weekend, like like you said, it was uh, something pretty special, you know. But at the end of the day, there that's just step one for us. We're we're looking forward to the national championship here in a couple weeks. Well, I I, I do want to get to that, but I want to wrap up the series here against the Huskies. It was one nothing on Sunday. I I didn't get to see the game, but it sounds like it, it was a good goaltending duel. There were a lot of chances, and and you just were one save better in the end. Yeah, something like that. I don't know if it was uh, one save better in the end, but, uh, you know, bounces were going my way. I had a few posts, and, you know, it's, some days you just, you got to be good to be lucky, and you got to be lucky to be good. So it's, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a great weekend for sure. Zach, can you contrast playing in the new arena in Saskatoon as opposed to Rutherford Rink earlier in your career? Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of the listeners don't really know what, uh, what the Rutherford Rink was like, but... Uh, Basically, I'll picture it like this. It's almost like a bunch of, you know, 25, 26, 23-year-olds playing in a shoebox. It was uh, the smallest rink I've ever played in. I still am, like, blown away at how that uh, that league was, or that arena was acceptable for the league. But, uh, you know, that's just, that's Canada West for you. It was uh, it was a great time playing there. I had a bunch of fun playing there, and the new rink is uh, is bigger. But, it, uh, you know, the atmosphere is still the exact same. And every time we go to Saskatoon, it's always the... Uh, High tempo game. It's always a good rivalry, and uh, you know it was uh, pretty exciting. Writing another chapter for it. Zach Zachenko joining us on Inside Sports, goaltender for the U of A Golden Bears. They have won the Canada West Hockey Title, and uh, they should be seated. Well, I'm going to guess one or two at Nationals. We don't know. Are we still waiting for an Atlantic Series, Zach? 
Yeah, yeah, we're waiting for both. Uh, there's the Ontario series to finish up, and then uh, UNB and St. Mike's are playing out east in the uh, final there, so the ranking should be finalized sometime next week. Okay, well, you should obviously have a, a one or a two going into Lethbridge. You've been through it before with this uh, with this format at Nationals. It's it's a single game elimination. I know it's something I really wanted to see. I didn't like the two pools of three where sometime it came down to uh, to gold differential. So obviously you, you know what's at hand with this tournament. Do you prepare any differently uh, when it, you're going into single game elimination and you could theoretically have three different opponents in the span of three or four days? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Just just the way the term, tournament's kind of formatted and laid out, it's uh, you don't really have a whole lot of room for error, and we, our team saw it last year that uh, you know things got to fall into place, and you got to sometimes get lucky just the way that uh, things are. But uh, no, I think the biggest thing is guys just know that the the margin of error is so much smaller in this tournament that guys are that much more driven, that much more hungry, that much more bought into the system. So, and uh, I think we we had a taste of it last year, and this team this team wants to go back. We want to uh, kind of get another taste of it. It's. Uh, it's cliche, but once you've had that first one, you want to go and get the next one. And it's uh, it's going to be a fun tournament for sure. What's the schedule like for you guys? Did you have you had a couple of days off here? Or did you practice today? No, we had the day off here, so we got in pretty late on uh, Sunday morning. Well, I guess Monday morning, I guess. And uh, we had obviously the Monday off, and then we had uh, just a quick light team spin today, and then we'll hit the ice in the morning and start uh, start working towards the uh, nationals prep. Okay, I got to ask you one more here, Zach. It's been a bit of a, a theme through today's show, and a lot of people in Edmonton have been talking about it. Did you see the the Palmanville miss? And does anything t- uh, come to the top of your head as maybe the luckiest save of your junior and university career? That was a weird one. Koskinen's uh, thanking the hockey gods after that play. Yeah, no, I didn't even see that one. I've been uh, almost a little excluded from the hockey world, just trying to focus okay. on school and studies here. So I haven't seen it, but I will definitely take a look. But, uh, you know, with all the talk about it, I'm sure it's uh, something pretty special. Yeah, it was uh, it was unusual. He blocked his own shot, and, and he'll be wondering how that happened for, for years <laughs> to come, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, Zach, well, all the best. Uh, you're going to be going down to Lethbridge next week, obviously, for Nashville, so get her done there, and congratulations on winning the Canada West Championship. Really appreciate you having on the show. It's always a pleasure. No, awesome. Thanks, Reed. Appreciate it. That is Zach Zachenko checking in from the U of A Golden Bears net. So they win Canada West. So both they and Saskatchewan were going to Nashville's. Lethbridge is the host, so there will be three Canada West teams. Lethbridge likely to get the number eight seed. They'll probably avoid a Canada West, Canada West quarterfinal. So I would think the Bears will probably get the two seed. Probably the Atlantic champion will get one and then they'll uh, play it out from there. Saskatchewan probably gets three or four, I would think, going in, and obviously it's an eight-team single elimination. Darcy, the VAC truck driver, texting 63630, says Mr. Dreisaitl is a bargain and will be his contract. His uh, The haters won't agree, but he's better than two-thirds the player. Big McD is. Great show, boys. That is Darcy, the VAC truck driver, checking in. Well... Leon Dreisaitl's, what, up to fourth in the NHL in scoring and, and uh, second in goals. He's having a pretty incredible year for sure. Looks like Carolina and Boston are going to go to overtime as well. 4.1 seconds left in the third. That game is tied at three. You'll want to check out the highlights of this one if you're not keeping an eye on it. The Whalers, pardon me, the Hurricanes wearing Hartford Whalers green uniforms in Boston. Pretty cool to see those. 
It has been an amazing run for the Brooks Bandits in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. They finished this regular season on a 33-game winning streak. Their coach and GM when we get back. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Yeah, the Oilers, one of only four teams in the NHL below 500 at home. The other three are Los Angeles, Ottawa, and Detroit. Oilers home to Vancouver tomorrow. The Brooks Bandits will be home for the National Junior A Championship. They are in as the host, but they're the favorite to win the AJHL title because they finished the regular season at 57 and 3 their coach and GM is Ryan Papawano. Ryan, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And perhaps how are you doing is going to be the stupidest question I ask in this interview because your team has won 33 games in a row and, and Hitch for the Oilers gave a great quote a, quote a couple of days ago when you win you're happy for about 10 minutes and when you lose you're in, you're in hell until the next game but you, you haven't had to go through the, the, the hell of losing I guess for a while here I, I mean just give me a sense of your experience as a coach and the vibe around the team right now with all the success yeah, no. I, I over the years we've had a few of these little runs where we've built up some some good winning streaks, but obviously nothing to to the extent of 33 games. And I think for you know for our players, it's a feeling of a little bit of invincibility right now, which I don't know is the best thing for us. But I, I think we've had a a couple of little bumps along the way. We had a good competitive two one game last Friday night. Um, and and I think for our guys, we we need to be cautious moving forward. That we we still have the mindset that at any night we could lose, and it's it's almost at times come a little easy to this group, but they've put in a whole lot of work to make that happen. As the wins piled up, and it's and it's funny. I've I've talked to a few Bakersfield Condors recently, as they won 17 in a row in the AHL. You guys almost doubled that. As the wins piled up, and you're probably getting more attention you know in brooks around the league from from media from outside of brooks and maybe even outside of alberta how have the the players dealt with that and and maybe the increased um i don't want to say scrutiny because i don't know if a winning streak is is scrutinized the same way a losing streak but there's certainly some increased uh increased attention and 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 maybe that feeling like okay well we don't want it to end or just being more aware of what's going on how have they dealt with all that yeah, I think pretty well. I, as you know, as we approached the, uh, the the tying our team's record, which I think was 21 games, uh, I think things got a little, you know, a little bit more pressurized there. Once we got to the 24, which was the league record, um, I think same thing. And after we hit that 24, I think everything's been pretty relaxed. I think our guys have kind of taken it in stride since that point, and and just kind of played out every night however it would happen and we uh you know it's kind of nice now we're in a bit of a reset where there is no streak anymore yes it might continue to the playoffs but at the end of the day we're now zero and zero like everybody else and i I think that's a positive thing for our group tell me a little bit about your expectations for the team at the start of the season and i used to cover the ajhl and i know what it's like in junior hockey coaches have to be realistic gms have to be realistic because age can be such a factor you know you can lose great players because they graduate sometimes you're just forced to go with younger guys i mean clearly this this would have been a peak for you guys but what what were your expectations coming in 
You know, we, we sat back this summer and, and said, we know we're playing in the national championship in May, so one thing we can do this year is be a heck of a lot more patient with our guys. Uh, as long as we see good potential in our players and in our team, you know, we can just sit back and continue to work with everybody, not worry too much about the wins and losses, and, and, and really build our team to be a good playoff team and a good uh, national championship contender come May. And you know, through all that, I don't think we had the highest expectations like we were going to go on a run like this. We just wanted to to really work with the group, like I said, and try and get better. And you know, losing the first game eleven to three was uh, was probably the best thing that could happen. Pretty sobering feeling for the players. Um, you know, definitely humbling for the staff and everybody involved. And you know, from that point on, our, our guys have done a tremendous job going out every night and not worrying about the opponent, just playing the same way and, and putting the wins together. Ryan Papawano joining us on Inside Sports tonight, head coach and GM of the Brooks Bandits. They finished the regular season 57-3. and They'll have a bye here through the first round of the playoffs. Ryan, I mean, you, you've been – is this this is your 11th year now in Brooks? Yeah, correct. So, you know, when, when, I, was, when I was covering the EJHL and I, I was working in Lloyd Minster, like Brooks had some good teams, but I don't think they were really, you know, power. I think they were kind of up and down like a lot of junior teams will go through. You've maintained a pretty strong program there in Brooks. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, how you think you've been able to do it and, and your staff has been able to do it. And, and I do think... You know, because I used to cover the Bonneville Pontiacs a lot too, and some coaches would say, you know, kids sometimes don't want to leave Edmonton or Calgary and go to Bonneville because it's smaller and stuff like that. So, how have you made Brooks that destination for for a lot of high end players? Yeah, I think for us, it's been mostly about recruiting families. Um, I think there's a ton of good hockey players out there, and, and we want to make sure for us, it's the right people that fit our culture. Uh, you know, it's the right parents in behind that player that fit our culture, and um, you know that they're aligned with the right people, whether that be their, you know, the school they're committed to or their their advisors. Just that we always have the right people coming into our program. Um, so I think we've been fairly cautious there, and that's worked well for us. And we've we've also, you know, we decided years ago we would open up our recruiting footprint, not worry too much about where our guys were from, worry more that we knew we were getting the right players. So um, we've tried to make Brooks a unique little place, kind of like a, a small-town college football team in Texas. We just want to be that small-town feeling where – Everybody knows you. They know if you won. They know if you lost. They know how you played on the power play. They know everything. And you're a celebrity in the city, which you don't get in the big centers. And just kind of work off those key points that that work for a small city like ours. And, you know, everything obviously over the years has, has seemed to work out pretty well. Well, a, pr- a pretty incredible run, and uh, I-, I love talking about the AJHL because, as I mentioned, it's something I spent a lot, of, a lot of time covering uh, in my career. And I'm, and I'm always, I always like seeing the stories like a player you had, you know, Kale McCarr getting getting drafted by Colorado in the first round in 2017 out of Brooks. And, and I just think I'm curious your take on this with the NHL ever expanding and some players wanting to keep their NCAA options. You know, do you, th- do you think there's going to be uh, greater opportunity continued greater opportunity for AJHL players to get noticed by NHL teams and maybe get drafted straight out of the Brooks and Spruce Groves and Lloyd Minsters of the world yeah I do I, I think that there are more players like you said that are keeping their eligibility open longer um, you know at least long enough to explore both both paths and I think once once a player and a family's been able to explore both paths I think you're starting to see more that lean towards college hockey uh, I think they just see maybe a, a bit more longevity to it longer time to, to be able to work at your craft before you need to be a pro and 
uh, you know, a lot of people that way. I think we're going to start to see more draft picks come out of, uh, you know, the AJHL and just junior A as a whole. Um, you know, as the league gets more attractive to more of those higher-end players. But, uh, yeah, I think for us specifically with Kale and, you know, we had Parker Fu that same year that was an NHL draft to Chicago. Um, you know, good local kids that came into our program maybe weren't the high, highly touted guys, but, you know, through their work and, and obviously their production were noticed. And I, I think there's a lot more of those guys coming through the league. Well, Ryan, well said, and congratulations on a great regular season. I know for you the work is uh, is far from finished because you have the playoffs coming up, and obviously, like you, you referenced, you're hosting the uh, National Junior A Championship Tournament as well, so it's, it's going to be fun. Thanks for checking in tonight, Ryan. I hope we can talk again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Ryan Papawano, head coach and GM of the Brooks Band. It's 33-game winning streak, and you heard him say it. They lost their first game of the season 11-3, and then they went 57-3 as their record. They have a bye through the first round of the playoffs. All right, let's update the NHL scoreboard. Ducks and Coyotes, 1-1 after 1. How about this? The Red Wings lead the Avalanche, 1-0 after the first. Stars up 1-0 on the Rangers halfway through the second period. The Wild tied up against the Predators. Pontus Aberg gets a goal. It's 2-2 after two. That's Minnesota and Nashville. The Lightning lead the Jets 5-1 halfway through the third. The Penguins beat the Panthers 3-2 in overtime. Gensel gets his 33rd of the year to win it. The Islanders outlast the Senators 5-4 in a shootout. The Blue Jackets back in the win column. A 2-1 shootout win over the Devils and the Bruins beat the Hurricanes 4-3 in overtime. David Krejci gets the game winner. Coming up later tonight, it's the Canadians and the Kings. The Raptors have fought back. They now lead the Rockets after three, 71-69. Oilers back at it. Practice tomorrow. Game on Thursday against the Vancouver Canucks. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. In the studio today is Kellen Kennedy. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.